Well, praise the Lord, everybody. I said, praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. Yes, if he was an average God, he deserved average praise. If he was a mediocre God, he deserved mediocre praise. But because our God is a great God, therefore he is greatly to be praised. Come on and give God praise in this place. Hallelujah. To God be the glory. Let's go to God in prayer. God, thank you for this time of sharing. Thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the privilege of worship. We honor you for your compassions that fail not and your mercies that are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. How we thank you because all we've needed, your hand hath provided. Thank you for Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, our comforter, teacher, and guide. Thank you for this wonderful place, One Community Church. Thank you for Dr. Conway Edwards. Thank you for the vision. Thank you for the gifts. Thank you for the heart that you've placed within him. We give you glory for using him, for giving such treasure in earthen vessel. Thank you for Jada Edwards and their entire family and all who serve here in leadership, Pastor Matt, his family, all the campuses. Now, God, we need to hear from you today. So would you have your way and open our eyes now that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Speak in this place and get the glory now in Jesus' name. Amen. One more time, let's clap our hands for the Lord today. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And while you're clapping, would you thank God for my friend and brother, your pastor, Dr. Conway Edwards. What a wonderful man of God. We salute you, man of God. Thank you so much for your example and your friendship. And of course, we'd be remiss if we did not thank God for the lady who stands at his side, uh, Lady Jada Edwards. Come on, thank God for her. What a gift she is. And certainly, I'm honored and humbled to be here with you. Um, uh, a few months ago, uh, when this invitation was extended, I got my dates crossed up, and I had no idea uh, when I accepted the date. I was thinking it was going to be last week. But this happens to be my 28th wedding anniversary. And uh, thank you. So how apropos. And I want to thank you uh, just for the invitation. And not only that, I want to thank God uh, for my wife who consented with not much of an attitude and allowed me to come. And she's with me today. And uh, come on, give God praise for her. She's with me 28 years. We celebrated yesterday. And uh, what a blessing it is that uh, she was... Uh, uh, sensitive and understanding, and I'm able to be here with you, and you're not here of my funeral back in Atlanta. <laughs> and so I'm thankful, grateful to God. Uh, if you have your Bibles, the book of Genesis in chapter 2, and I want to get right into the Word of God. Genesis chapter 2, I want to jump into that right quickly. Uh, Dr. Edwards has been in an amazing series, and, uh, and uh, we, we've, been, we've been talking about it, and I wanted to continue in the vein. Uh, after the rose. That's a powerful message here in Genesis 2, 23. And you see these words in Genesis 2, 23. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Verse 23, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. 
she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I want you to consider this thought, a match made in heaven. Say it with me, a match made in heaven, a match made in heaven, a match made in heaven. A few, few months ago, I was in a, an interesting predicament, uh, getting ready to go to the office for some meetings, only to my dismay to discover that the car would not start. The car would not start, and that was problematic because I had just had the car serviced a few weeks prior. I was trying to figure out why my car would not start. And after about fifth, and uh, so I just decided since this car wouldn't start, uh, what was the issue with it? The issue was the key battery had died. And so no problem because I have an extra key in the house. And I went in the house to get the extra key only to discover that that key had been taken by my wife who had left the house earlier. No problem. My son's car was there. I had a key to my son's car. So I just get the key to my son's car and take his instead until I get my situation figured out. Well, when I went to retrieve my son's key, I remembered that key was in the bag that was in the car that my wife took. <laughs> and so now I have no key, no car. I couldn't figure out how to get this thing going. I called friends. I called AAA trying to figure out how do I get another key, only to discover that in the car was an owner's manual. And the owner's manual gave me instructions that if the key battery, which really is another dark side of uh, a subside of this whole technological advancement. When I was growing up, we didn't have uh, key batteries. You just stuck your key in the ignition and you didn't have to worry about the key going dead. Anybody remember that day at that time? And, and so the instructions in the owner's manual told me that if I just dislodged the valet key from the key battery, I could find a certain apparatus in the console and stick that part and the key would start. And so an hour later, I was finally able to get to the place I needed to be and missed all those appointments. But in the meantime, I was delayed and went to a whole lot of frustrations only because I didn't initially recognize that everything I needed was in the owner's manual. And how apropos is it that many of us are delayed in getting into relationships, are frustrated once we have gotten into our relationship? We've called this one, that one, and the other, trying to get instructions as to how we can find peace and some sense of mobility and upward trajectory, only to discover that everything we need is right here in the owner's manual. Uh, culture does not give us the rubric for marriage because culture would have you to believe that marriage is horrible. Culture would have you to believe that this is something that we should shun, that marriage is something that is no longer necessary. And I just want to say today that I still believe in the word of God. I still believe the owner's manual provides instructions that teach us that marriage is not horrible, but marriage is honorable and the bed is undefiled. I still believe the owner's manual teaches us that he that finds a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor in the sight of the Lord. How many of you still believe that there's some glory and positivity in relationships? And so if you really want to understand how did the owner design marriage, the first biblical design is right here in Genesis chapter 2. And as God designs marriage in Genesis chapter 2, he really starts with the man in verse number 7 where it says that there are some characteristics. This is the first movement I want to make today, the characteristics that must be evident 
if we want to see how God made this match in heaven. There are some characteristics that must be evident. Number one, uh, notice that man has to have a relationship with the Lord. It's right there in verse number seven of Genesis 2. It says, and the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. A man's composition, man's anatomical makeup was comprised of the dust of the ground. And then man received, was the recipient of the breath of God. For God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and became a living soul. That same Ruach that moved on the face of the waters in Genesis 1 and 2 hovered and moved on the face and on the lungs of man. And man became a living soul, which signifies that man has a relationship with with God. There is the connection between creature and creator. God says, man, if you're going to get a wife and then keep her once you get her, it's incumbent upon you to have a relationship with the Lord. You will never be able to love her the way that Christ loves the church, and you're going to be the example. You're going to be the template and the rubric and the paradigm for how man and how Christ loves the church. And so you're going to have to have a relationship with the Lord. But not only that, you also uh, need to have a residence in which to live. Is right here in, in Genesis 2, 8. It says, and the Lord God uh, planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Man, you're going to be responsible for having and having accountability of the residence. The household is going to be your responsibility. You need to have somewhere for her to abide once she gets there. You need to have a place that you set the environment, you set the atmosphere, man, you're literally going to be the thermometer in the relationship. You're going to set the temperature. She's going to be the thermostat. She's going to maintain the temperature, but it's going to be your responsibility. And so you need a relationship with the Lord, verse number seven. You need a residence in which to live, verse number eight. You also are going to need responsibilities uh, that, will, that will make you labor, responsibilities. It's in verse number 15. Listen, he says in verse 15, and the Lord God placed the man in the midst of the garden, he, look what he says, to work it and to keep it, to dress it and to keep. I want to make sure you are responsible. I want to check out can you be responsible for caring for the garden? Because if you're not responsible for caring for the garden, you'll never be responsible caring for your girl. I want to be make I want to make sure that you're responsible at work. Because if you can't work, you don't qualify to have a wife. I need to understand. Do, are you aware of your responsibilities and your irresponsibilities? Because an irresponsible man will make a sad bedfellow for this thing called matcha. I need you to be responsible. I need you to be one who handles your business. I need you to be one who's on top of things. I need you to have your act together. Be responsible. So I need you to have a relationship with the Lord, verse 7, residence in which to live, verse 8, responsibilities, verse number 15 together. But then I need you to have some resources. Verse 16, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Here are your resources. Here, here are your groceries. Uh, it is not her responsibility to provide groceries for you. When she comes, you ought to have some groceries already there. Uh, you ought to have some commodities, some, some resources. Listen, uh, I, I don't 
don't want her looking for somebody with potential. No, she doesn't need potential. She needs somebody with some resources. She needs somebody. She needs, she needs somebody. She needs somebody who brings something to the table. She needs you, fella, to not have your car in your mama's name and your debit card in your, in your grandmama's name. She needs you to have something together to be on top of things so when she comes, she can have a sense of safety and security. It's not her responsibility to go and get it and go and work while you're at home playing PlayStation 5. No, you, she, she, she needs you to be responsible. But then also, also you need some restrictions. Restrictions. Verse 17. Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat thereof. For in the day that thou eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. Your resources are in verse 16. Your restrictions are in verse 17. In other words, here is what you can touch, verse 16. Here's what you can't touch, verse 17. Here's what you can have, verse 16. Here's what you can't have. Verse 17. Here's what brings you continuation. Verse 16. Here's what brings a cemetery. Verse 17. Here is what is appropriate. Verse 16. Here's what is inappropriate. Verse 17. In this day of secular humanism and moral relativism where everybody feels there is no standard. There are no rules. You can do whatever you want to do. God says no. There is a way that seemeth right but the end thereof leadeth to destruction. You need to know that there are some things that you can have, and there are some things that are pleasing to God and some things that are not pleasing to God. You ought to know what brings life to relationships and what can kill your relationships. And so here it is, fellow. These are not just qualities that you have prior to marriage. But throughout the duration of marriage, I need you to maintain a relationship with the Lord, a residence, be responsible, have resources, understand your restrictions. And then once God shows these characteristics of relationship, residence, responsibilities, resources, restrictions, then God speaks in verse 18. And God says, it is not good. The man should be alone. Now, all of my life, I have read this verse wrong. We've read it wrong. We've taught it wrong. We've preached it wrong. We've told people that God said it is not good that man should be alone. God never declared that it is not good that man be alone. Don't say what God didn't say. God never said it's not good that man be alone. What God said was, it is not good that the man. That's the definite article. It literally can be read in Hebrew, this one. The one who has a relationship with the Lord. The one who has a residence. The one who has some resources. The one who understands his responsibilities. The one who knows what his restrictions are. It's not good that this one be alone. Now, some ninjas need to be left alone. 
Come on and help me. Come on and help me. Come on and help me. But this one who has his act together, he now qualifies. He is now in a position where I can trust him. And so I'm going to make for him a fitting helper for him. Sometimes we call it help meet, help mate. That's interesting because that word idzar in the Hebrew is the exact same word that David uses for help in Psalm 121. When David says, I will lift mine eyes to the hills, then he says, from whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord. Same word is used here in Genesis 2.18 in Psalm 121. David says, I cannot make it from here to my, to my destiny without the help of God. What God says about this man, he will not be able to finish his God-given assignment. The things that God had assigned for Adam to complete, he would not be able to complete those things until God sent him his wife. Now, let me say this. I do not believe that this is saying that every man or every woman would get married. Because somehow in church, we've made an idol out of marriage. As if being single is second-class citizenship. For some reason or another, we made single people feel, even in our testimonies, when we say things like, I'm so glad I love my spouse, I love him, I love my boo, I love my bae, because they complete me. That's really an insult to God. Paul tells us that our completion is in Jesus Christ. A relationship should complement you, but never complete you. Because if you give a person power to complete you with their presence, you also give them the power to incomplete you with their absence. And what I want to say to us is that you ought to be a whole person when you come into a relationship so people don't make you feel like you are less than. God didn't make any half individuals. You are bad and together and fifthly wonderfully made whether or not you have somebody in your life or not. Somebody shout, I know that's right. He says, but, 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 but Adam, in order to populate the world, to be the progenitor of the human race, you're going to have to have some help. And I'm going to send her to be at your side to help you to finish your assignment. Now, here's the thing, Adam. Sometimes she may have to help you by semi-cussing you out. Now, I don't, I don't mean that literally. That's metaphorical. Sometimes she may have to get on your nerves in order to get you to do what you've been called to do. Sometimes she has to irritate you because she knows that you won't do what you need to do. And sometimes she may have to make you form a, a call the doctor to have an appointment when you're not feeling well. And while that may bother you, you ought to thank God that she cares enough about you to tell you I'm going to stay on you until you call the doctor and I'm going on the doctor's visit with you. That's a whole lot better than her seeing that you are sick and saying nothing but just making sure that you paid the life insurance policy. Come on, help me somebody. You need somebody because God often uses the wife as your second Holy Ghost. 
Oh, look how y'all looking at me now, fellas. Uh, Sometimes that wife is discerning and can see stuff that you never saw. She can tell you your friends that you need to stay away from. She can tell you the people that you avoid. She told you not to go in business with that fella, but you were too blind to see. Oh, I wish my wife wasn't here to hear me confirm this. But it's the truth. Sometimes the greatest gift you ever had is a praying woman who's discerning, who can help you hear from God to get where you need to be. If the truth be told, a lot of us fellas would be a whole lot better off if we listened to the help that God sent us when he sent it to us rather than we think, I'm the man. I'm the king of my castle. I'm King Kong. No, you're not. You don't listen to that woman. You're Curious George. Because sometimes God sends the best blessing in form of your help. And rejection of your help is not rejection of her. It's really indirect rejection of the God who sent her to be by your side. Fellas, we have to learn how to not be insecure when the help comes. She may be a better financial manager than you because you know that you'll pay everything the last minute. You know when the grace period ends and what the interest penalties are. It does not mean you're less of a man to relinquish the things that she's stronger at, to admit your weaknesses. It doesn't make you less of a man if she has a Ph.D. and you have a bachelor's or G.D. You don't have to feel intimidated or insecure. There's too many of us who, even if our women make more money than us, we feel less than men. Listen to me. If she gets a raise and makes more money than you, thank God that you were able to pull somebody of that caliber. And what you do is when she calls you to tell you she has a raise, just go and find her pom-poms out of her trunk where she was a cheerleader in high school. And when she gets home, come on and say, you're, you're the girl, you did it again. Learn how to cheer on because when she gets a raise, the whole house just got a raise because God sent us to do it together. And so these are the characteristics that must be evident. Not just before marriage but even in marriage. But then there's some caution. This is point two, the caution that must be exercised. God says, now, I really, I really don't like this verse, verse 19. I really don't like it. Let me tell you why I don't like it. Verse 18, God says, he's ready. I'm going to make him help. Verse 19, check it out. It says, and the Lord God, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. God says, okay, Adam, you're ready for your spouse. You're ready for your husband. You're ready for your wife. But there has to be some caution. Here's why. Because for as long as you're in a relationship, there will be the presence of imposters. Please, please don't miss this. Verse 18, Adam, you're ready. Verse 19, look who comes. Beast. Fowl. Fish of the sea. Adam, 
woman is going to be important before marriage and after marriage that you ask God for heightened discernment because you'll be discerning your entire relationship because some things will come your way when you're ready that you have to know how to look at it and what to call it God I'm ready I'm a single woman I'm ready Verse 18, in verse 19, the first thing that comes, wait a minute, oh, that's a dog. Wait a minute, wait a minute, that's a cat. Wait a minute, she's a shark. Wait a minute, look over there, you see that? You see all those animals, over? you see them? Oh, that's a bunch of bull. Oh, those, those are some turkeys. Here's why it's important that you're able to name the animals. Because if you're not careful, you end up getting with your beast and missing out on your blessing. And also, throughout the marriage, certain things can appear to make you think they're for you. But really, it's not an intercessor, it's an instigator. Some people won't pray for you, sometimes they'll pray on you. Sometimes even your friends and people in your family don't like and can be jealous of your relationship. And instead of being armor bearers for you, they'll be pallbearers for you. And instead of helping your marriage to make it to its destiny, they'll try to slowly carry your marriage and your relationship to your death. And so you have to ask God to give me discernment so I can properly name the beast rather than allowing the beast to have proximity to my life. It's so important because later on, uh, the same serpent that Adam names in verse number 19 is the same serpent that comes back in Genesis 3.1 and ends up messing up the good thing that he should have known when he saw it because he named the serpent in Genesis 2.18. Something and something that he knew before Eve came comes back and reappears to destroy what would have been beautiful? You got to be careful that you don't become so thirsty that you allow your parents and your grandparents to force you into marriage prematurely. Some of you, every time you go home, when are you going to have me some grandchildren? When it's time for, for my husband, I'm getting older now. And you got to be careful that you don't let people have so much access into your relationship. Because I'm here to tell you that sometimes unintentionally they can cause destruction in your life. And even when you get married, you've got to learn how to appropriately keep people out. That's why at a lot of marriage ceremonies, one of the traditions is sometimes they light candles representing the different families. Then the bride and groom lights the center candle, and then they blow the candles out on the ends. Do you know why that's important? Because we light the one in the center to say we came together as one, but we blow the ones out on the ends because that represents your family and your friends. And once, you, once we blow you out, that says stay out of our marriage, stay out of our business, stay out of our relationship because sometimes the enemy can creep in. And that's why you can't tell your family once you get married every time you go through an argument with your spouse. 
Y'all not feeling me here. You're mad at your husband. You go home and tell your dad, and you think dad is going to be cool with him at Thanksgiving. You think dad is going to, dad is not in love with him. Dad loves you. You go home and tell mom how bad she treated you. You think mom is going to ever love you because mom was the first woman that you loved. And what happens is we end up getting family members all caught up in our situations because we unintentionally invite unwanted people into what God has ordained. So you need discernment. Why does God do this? Because God says, I'm trying to teach you patience. Patience? Yes, because being a spouse and being a parent is a full-time job with no paycheck. And being married to somebody, you're going to need patience to learn how to say, God, I'm going to trust your hands and not mine. Adam names all these animals, but it says in verse 20, but for Adam, that was not found to help me for him. This blessed me because he says, although I'm ready, let me be patient enough and let me trust you enough. And so then what happens is the third thing, and I'm finished, the connection that can be enjoyed. When that help was not found for Adam, verse 21 says, and God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, which means that Prior to marriage and even during marriage, it will involve sleep. Yes, sleep. God causes a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. A sleep so deep that modern day anesthesiologists have not been able to reduplicate it to this very day. Why does God put Adam to sleep? Here's why. He says because if I don't put him to sleep, he perhaps from a contemporary perspective, he'll be on mix and mingle 26 hours a day. He'll be on Christian Mingle nine days a week. Because if you're not possible, you can become so overwhelmed with the possibility of meeting somebody that you take matters into your hands and God says, no, once you've gotten yourself together, once you've done your part, now just go to sleep and don't fixate on it to let me handle it. Because if you're responsible for the connection, you're going to be responsible for maintaining it. But if you let me handle it and put it in my hands, not just prior to marriage, but even in marriage, because some circumstances will arise that will make you walk the floor all night long. There'll be some times when that man and that woman or those children get on your last nerves and insomnia comes and depression can set in. So always remember, let me go to sleep and put this situation in the hands of God. Whether it's dating or courtship or marriage or children, God, I'm putting it in your hands because your hands are much larger than mine. Maybe there's a wife today. You've been praying for this husband. He's getting more rebellious, more disrespectful, reverting back to his old ways. And now it's breaking your heart daily. Learn how to say, like Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 37, God, when he was taken to a valley of bones and God asked him, can these bones live? He said, God, this is your valley. These are your bones. You know. God, this is your rebellious husband. This is your uh, reverting Son, God, he was your son way before he was my man. He's been disrespectful. He's not working. He's not honoring me. God, before I leave, let me put him back in your hands and let me go to sleep. 
Maybe that's a brother here today who has a wife and she's no cooking, flannel, flannel, flannel pajama wearing. And every time you see her, she has a, a, a bunnet on her head. God, this is your flannel pajama, uh, no cooking, bunnet wearing wife. Uh, I'm putting her back in your hands because I can't handle it by myself. It's getting on my last nerves. I'm putting her, am I talking to somebody who learned how to put it back in God's hands? You know why? Because God's hands can handle it way better than you can. Does anybody know if I put it in his hands, God will make a way out of no way? If I put it in his hands, God will provide. Listen, listen, let, let me share something with you. Something that blessed me. See, if you give, if you put a piano in my hands, I can play in three keys. But if you put a piano in Beethoven's hands, you'll get a great symphony. It all depends on whose hands it's in. If you put a paintbrush in my hand, I'll make a mess. A paintbrush in Picasso's hands, you'll get a masterpiece. It all depends on whose hands it's in. If you put a tennis racket in my hands, I'll make you laugh. But a tennis racket in Serena Williams' hands, she can become the greatest athlete, arguably, who ever lived. It all depends on whose hands it's in. If you put a golf club in my hand, I'll bust the windows out your car. But if you put a golf club in Tiger Woods' hands, you can win 14 major championships. It all depends on whose hands it's in. If you put nails in my hands, I can hang a picture. But if you put nails in Jesus' hands, it can bring salvation to the entire world. Somebody shout, I've learned how to put it all in his hands. This and that. I put it all in his hands. He can handle it. That's a fact. I put it all in his hands. No matter how great or small, he's the master of it all. Somebody shout, I'm putting it in his hands. If that's your testimony, give him praise and give him glory right there. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, I'm putting you in his hands too because he can handle you much better than I can. He says, so let me put you to sleep. That way, when I bring you your spouse, Adam, you won't take credit for it. You'll know it's me. Because if I let it be you, you'll make a decision based upon your preferences. If I let it be you, you'll choose based upon your own superficialities and your own identity and your own, your own idea. If I let it be you, you would think if he's not tall, dark, and handsome, he doesn't qualify. But God may send somebody who's short, fat, and bald-headed who will treat you like a princess. If I leave it up to you, you won't take her because she, had, she doesn't have a Coca-Cola bottle shape. And God may send somebody with a milk jug shape. But at least she'll cook for you, help you keep the house clean, and she'll keep you warm in the winter here in Dallas. You've got to learn, God, whatever that glitters is not gold, and whatever that's good looks good to me may not be good for me. God, give me some of my desires, but I trust you to send me what's best for me. Here you are 40 years old with no prospects saying he's not 6'4", he doesn't make $150,000, I don't want him. Who told you he had to be 6'4 to make $150,000? He may make $60,000, but loves God and prays for you and has the favor of God on his life. 
and favor can do for your marriage what money can. I wish I had somebody to talk to me here. You got to learn how to go to sleep and say, God, let me put it in your hands. So he goes to sleep, but not, but not only that, the connection involves surgery. God performed the first biblical surgery. He makes an incision in Adam's side and says, Adam, I want to I bring you your wife. However, I can't do it until the stuff, that's some stuff in you that has to come out of you. That's something in you that you don't need. You've done your part, so let me do mine. Let me put you under the surgical table and take something out of you. Because you can't get her until that comes out. For Adam, God had to take out a rib. Some of us are in surgery because God has to take out trauma. Some of us are in surgery because God has to take out the unhealed portions of you. Because if he brings your spouse now, your previous trauma and distrust for what the other person did will make you make the new person pay a tax on something they had nothing to do with. For some of us, it could be your upbringing. You saw mama and daddy fight, and that's a part of who you are, and you're a fighter. God said, no, let me put you in surgery to take out the stuff that's in you that you don't need that can be antithetical to your tomorrow. And so you can't rush the process. And the surgery is not just premarital. It's an ongoing surgery because things can grow in you even when, you, when you're married. So every day, our prayer should be, whether we are dating, single, or we've been married 40 years, God, search me. And as you search me, I give you permission to perform surgery. Sometimes the surgery is outpatient. Sometimes the surgery will require an overnight stay. For others of us, it's going to be two months in ICU plus rehab once the surgery is ended. But it's best that you let God do the work on you while he's simultaneously doing the work on your spouse. So when he brings us together, nothing from the past can hinder and affect the destiny that God has for your tomorrow. If you know God has performed surgery on you, say, search me, Lord. Now here's what's sad, or here's what's intimidating. God says, even when you get married, and if you get married, Watch this. I said, what do you want me to watch? He says, I'm going to take something out of him, a rib. I'm going to create his spouse out of that which I took out of him. So in a real sense, I'm going to bring to him that which is in essence came out of him. I'm going to reach in him, take something out of him, and bring what I brought out of him back to him. Here's what's convicting. If God, brothers, fellas, reached into us and took something out of us and made our spouse out of that which he took out of us, if God reached in you, brought something out of you, and created your spouse out of that which he brought out of you and brought that back to you that came out of you, would you marry you?
I'm going to say it again. If God reached in you and took something out of you and created your spouse out of that which he took out of you, would you be happy with you? Here's what's convicted me because God says, because a lot of times in marriage, you want what you're not willing to be. You want God to bring you loyalty, but internally you're disloyal. You want God to bring you peace, but once he brings you her to be your peace, how can she be your peace and you're constantly having her emotionally in World War VIII? Is it fair for you to expect her to be what you are not willing to be? And if you wouldn't want God to reach in you and bring your spouse out of a, an attribute he took from you, and that means go ahead and wash your hands and put the gown on with the back out and say, God, put it back on the surgery table because that's some stuff that needs to come out of me because... Because whatever you bring to me, help me to be what I want to receive. We want God to bring us responsibility while internally we're irresponsible. We want God to bring us affection, but we never show affection. Now, if you're sitting with your spouse, don't say nothing. Just don't say, just keep looking straight ahead. Don't, don't grunt. Don't say anything. It's convicting because there are some things in me that I wouldn't want to marry. Which means that God still has work for me, even after 28 years. Attitude, selfishness, wanted my way. Warning domination versus compromise. You know how you are, fellas. You know how we can be. Go to the kitchen. I wish you made biscuits like my mama. And she's thinking about you. I wish you brought home the dough like my daddy. So often in relationships, we desire what we're not willing to be. And once he reached into Adam and made that rib and shaped it and formed it, he brought her unto Adam. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, Ooh, flesh of my flesh. Notice he affirms her interior first. Bone of my bones, structure, flesh, stability. Then she's flesh of my flesh. He comments on the structural first and then moves to the superficial second. She's bone of my bones and she's flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. And now, and this is when you know you got the right one. This is when you know it. Because Adam starts to do something he's never done before. He starts prophesying. He says, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. Wait a minute. <laughs> Up until this point, we've never seen 
father or mother. Adam came from the ground. Eve came from him. So what did you get a concept from father and mother? Where does that concept come from? You know where it comes from? When Eve came into his life, something prophetic, something became alive in him that made him see the future. You will know you're with the right one when something comes alive in you that makes the gifts come out of you and cultivates the gifts within you. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. Oh, his ace bone, his running partner, his road dog, his frat brother. His, and shall cleave unto his wife. And they twain shall become one flesh. And what God had joined together, let no mean mother-in-law. Let no jealous father-in-law. Let no old time used to be tear asunder. You keep it together. They were both naked and not ashamed, the man and his wife. You know, I thought about it. I close with this. It's a match made in heaven. But here's why it's like this. Because men and women, if you go to Lowe's Hardware or Home Depot, Ace Hardware, you'll find a section for nuts and bolts. Men and women are like nuts and bolts. What you find, they're different sizes because every nut doesn't fit every boat. Every man doesn't fit every woman. And if you get a nut and a boat and try to force them, you tear up the threads and the treads. And when you tear it up because you try to force it, that was a time that once you've been, you strip the treads. And once you stripped them. That was a time that neither one was any good. You had to discard them. Some of us tried to force ourselves into relationships with people that we didn't fit. And your grooves got injured. You, and you got tripped. And you felt you were no good. But thank God, somebody came up with an ingenious idea called a retreading machine. That even if your nuts and your bolts and your grooves have been stripped from a previous relationship and a previous nut or a boat, you can be tread, retread it. So find the one who fits you. You can get another opportunity to find the one who fits you from the beginning. But then a nut and a boat can fit each other. It fits perfectly. But what happens is pressure can pull a nut and a boat loose. So somebody came with an idea of something called a lock washer. And what you do is you put the lock washer in the middle. And whatever it's holding, the lock washer keeps it together so pressure can't pull it apart. When you find the one that fits you, that's wonderful. But make sure the lock washer, which represents God, Jesus Christ is in the middle. So no matter what happens, you won't be pulled apart because he's in the one. Because unless the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that building. Keep the Lord in the middle. But then it gets worse because you can have a nut and bolt that fits and a lock washer that keeps it together. But if it's exposed to the elements, rain, oxidation, storms can cause a nut and a bolt that fits to rust, to be brittle and break. Well, thank God. Somebody came up with, with the ingenuity of something called WD-40. <laughs> Which means when the nut finds the bolt that it fits, has a lock washer in the middle, it's together that no matter what kind of storms or rains come that make it rust, you put the WD-40 
the oil on it to keep it saturated to ensure that it does not rust and it does not break. Let me tell you something. If it's in God's will, if you are a nut and a bolt, God has one that will fit you. But make sure you put the washer in the middle. And when you come together, when storms and rains come to try to make your relationship brittle and break, say, Holy Spirit, be the oil that saturates our relationship to keep us together. Here's why. So no weapon formed against us shall be able to prosper. And if God be for us, who can be against us? My name is E. Dewey Smith, and I approve this message.